Hello, this is Carol Kirkpatrick. I am the Wellness Center Director at Idaho State University and the lead author of the NLA Scientific Statement, Low Carbohydrate and Very Low Carbohydrate, Including Ketogenic Diets. And I'm here to discuss this important topic with you today. The National Lipid Association determined that this was an important scientific statement to develop and present to practicing clinicians because of the controversy that's related to ketogenic diets and low-carb, very low-carb diets. We really felt that because of the controversy and in some arenas, very low-carbohydrate and ketogenic diets were being promoted for questionable health benefits, that we really needed to provide a balanced review of the current scientific evidence, of which we reviewed systematic reviews and meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials so that we could examine that recent evidence and determine if there were beneficial effects of these diets on body weight and other cardiometabolic risk factors. We really were able to examine the most recent evidence to see if patients should be following these very low-carb or ketogenic diets, and if so, what the potential risks might also be, and who really should be the patient group that would potentially benefit or there would be significant concerns. So our goal was to provide key points and key recommendations for practicing clinicians to allow them to have a thorough discussion with their patient, hopefully prior to them starting a very low-carb or ketogenic diet, to determine if this type of dietary pattern would be a good fit for them. And in developing the key recommendations, we did use the grading system created by the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association evidence-based grading system, which was updated in 2015. So we really put in the effort to review and examine the most recent evidence to provide a valuable resource to practicing clinicians who can then have this conversation with their patients about the risks, benefits, uh, potential need for following this type of diet, hopefully again prior to them starting a very low-carb or ketogenic diet. In examining the recent scientific evidence, we identified and again focused on cardiometabolic risk factors because this is a scientific statement for the National Lipid Association. And we examined the evidence for body weight effects and then other cardiometabolic risk factors. And we wanted to answer questions about whether or not these diets, meaning very low-carb or ketogenic diets, were of more benefit than, say, more moderate carbohydrate or high-carb, low-fat diets. And what we found based on the evidence was that in the short term, there may be a slight advantage of the low-carb, high-fat diets over high-carb, low-fat diets for weight loss. And that was less than six months. By 12 months, and this has been found in many different studies, by 12 months, there was no difference between diets for body weight changes specifically with weight loss. So really no significant difference by 12 months of low-carbohydrate diets, low-carb, high-fat diets compared to high-carb, low-fat diets for weight loss. And one thing that we did notice and we discussed over time, these low-carb, high-fat diets are not necessarily superior because people have a very hard time limiting their carbohydrate intake. So Many of the randomized controlled trials that were included in the meta-analyses, um, in fact, all but one, the study participants could not maintain the severe restriction of carbohydrate intake to remain in a ketogenic state until study end. 
And so one of the challenges and most likely why there's no difference in weight loss is because people are not typically able to stay in ketosis because they can't maintain that severe carbohydrate restriction. The other thing that we found was that the low-carb, high-fat diets did appear, and this is a potential benefit, so even though weight loss did not have a significant difference in the dietary intervention groups, there did appear to be consistently a lower triglyceride level in study participants who consumed a low-carb, high-fat diet compared to those who consumed a high-carb, low-fat diet. And this was consistent in both patient populations who were overweight or obese, as well as patient populations who were overweight and obese, but also had prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. So in both of those populations, we saw lower triglyceride levels, although in some meta-analyses, there was not a significant difference over time. So by 12 months or longer, there were in some meta-analyses not a difference in the triglyceride levels. However, there were more meta-analyses that saw a significant difference than those that didn't. In terms of HDL, it was a similar pattern in that the study participants who followed a low-carb, high-fat dietary pattern in the study tended to have a higher HDL, especially short-term, than those who followed the high-carb, low-fat dietary pattern. However, again, and that was in both patient populations of overweight and obese, as well as those who are overweight and obese with prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, over time, that effect waned. So with HDL, typically past one year, there was not a difference in HDL levels between the study groups. With the LDL cholesterol levels, so looking at the lipid effect of the very low-carb diets compared to the higher-carb diets, there was, in the short-term studies, definitely an increase in, in LDL cholesterol with the low-carb, higher-fat dietary patterns compared to the high-carb, low-fat dietary patterns. Similarly to the HDL level, though, by one year, those differences tended to be non-significant. And many times it was because the study group, again, could not maintain or adhere to the dietary intervention of keeping the carbohydrate intake very low as then, therefore, the fat intake very high. We also, specifically in the study population that had people who had prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, found that typically in some of the studies, the saturated fat content was at an appropriate level that would not cause the LDL cholesterol to be elevated or the saturated fat was replaced with unsaturated fats, which would then also have a favorable effect on LDL cholesterol levels. So there were other factors that may have, over time, played a role in the LDL cholesterol levels not increasing with the low-carb, high-fat diets compared to the high-carb, low-fat diets. And clearly, we also know that genetic factors can play a role, which is one of the reasons that we highly recommend if a person is going to follow a low-carb, high-fat diet, well, two points, they should be counseled or educated on how to keep saturated fat intake low on these types of diets and replace that saturated fat with unsaturated fats. And patients who choose to follow a very low-carb or ketogenic diet should have a baseline and follow-up lipid lipoprotein assessments done as they are on this dietary pattern. In terms of the other cardiometabolic benefits or factors that we looked at, there did appear to be short-term better glycemic control in, in people who had type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. So in studies that were less than six months, there appeared to be a significant difference, so a lower hemoglobin A1c in participants who followed the low-carb, high-fat dietary pattern compared to those who followed the higher-carb, low-fat dietary pattern. By one year, that difference was 
basically gone. There were only two-minute analyses out of eight that found that there was still a significant difference between hemoglobin A1C, between the high-carb, low-fat dietary pattern and the low-carb, high-fat. So over time, that effect on A1C waned, similarly to the HDL and the LDL levels. What was consistent, though, across the meta-analyses was that there was a reduction in diabetes medication in study participants who had type 2 diabetes and were taking oral hypoglycemic agents or insulin to manage their glycemic control. And if they were following a low-carb, high-fat diet, they had a decrease in the use or need of medication. That varied across the trials that were included in the meta-analysis, and it wasn't consistent in how they were necessarily measuring that in the trials, but it was consistent to see that the use of medication or the dose of medication decreased in study participants who were following the low-carb, high-fat diets compared to those following high-carb, low-fat diets. But what's really important to understand is that benefit, that decrease in the use of medication for diabetes control, was achieved at levels of carbohydrate intake that were not ketogenic. The average intake that was listed in one meta-analysis was about 106 grams of carbohydrate a day. And that meta-analysis still showed that the study participants were able to reduce their use of diabetes medication. So I think one of the key things that we want clinicians to be aware of is that their patients who have type 2 diabetes and want to go on a lower carbohydrate diet can do so and achieve benefit, but without having to be at the severe carbohydrate restriction to induce ketosis, which we believe many more patients will be able to follow and maintain over time. In terms of the other cardiometabolic risk factors in looking at the evidence available, there was really no clear evidence for advantages for blood pressure, C-reactive or C-reactive protein levels. There were only three meta-analyses that examined C-reactive protein, and there was not a significant difference for that inflammatory marker between a low-carb, high-fat diet and a high-carb, low-fat diet. So really no clear evidence to support benefit for inflammatory marker in C-reactive protein or blood pressure. There were some benefits with blood pressure, but it was not consistent, and it appeared to be more likely associated with weight loss in general and not necessarily due to the dietary intervention that the study participants were following. We made key points, again, emphasizing that long-term compliance is challenging with the very low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diets, so it's really important to have that patient-clinician discussion about the risks and benefits and patient preference prior to the patient choosing to follow that. And if they do, it should really be a short-term time period. Our recommendation was two to six months for following a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. And then beyond that six months, really educating and facilitating a more low to moderate carbohydrate intake with patient discussion on what they can do and sustain over time. We did have recommendations that discuss the safety or concerns of some patients following the very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diets. And really, it had to do with some patients who are, for example, taking hypoglycemic medications. When you reduce carbohydrates, such as restrictive intake, then they will need adjustments on their medication, or they may have the potential for hypoglycemic episodes. Similarly, patients who are being treated for hypertension as they lose weight, maybe not necessarily because of the low-carb diet, but as they lose weight, they may need adjustments in their hypertensive medication to avoid hypotension. Patients who are taking vitamin K-dependent anticoagulant therapy need to 
be counseled on the potential dietary intake of vitamin K and the effect of their therapy. Maybe they would need their anticoagulant therapy adjusted. And then there definitely are contraindications. So one of the key points we wanted to make are the group of patients where they should be very closely supervised if they're going to be following a very low carb or ketogenic diet. For example, we recommended in our scientific statement that patients who have established cardiovascular disease, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, those who have a history of liver disease or kidney disease, or have a history of atrial fibrillation, we would encourage them not to follow this type of very low carb or ketogenic diet, but if they do choose to, they should be closely supervised because we just aren't sure how the dietary changes, which are going to be significant if they follow a very low carb diet, how that would affect their disease state. And then patients who have a history of hypertriglyceridemia associated pancreatitis or hypertriglyceridemia in general, patients, for example, with genetic disorders that cause very high triglyceride levels in their bloodstream, like familial chylomicronemia syndrome, or those who have a genetic cholesterol disorder, so familial hypercholesterolemia, a very high fat diet, especially if it's high in saturated fat, could potentially increase their triglyceride levels or their LDL cholesterol levels to a very high level and be dangerous for them health-wise. So in our key recommendation, we stated that the patients who do have hypertriglyceride-associated pancreatitis or hypertriglyceridemia disorders or familial hypercholesterolemia or genetic cholesterol disorders should not follow a very low carbohydrate, high fat, or ketogenic diet. In terms of the limitations of the NLA scientific statement on low-carb and very low-carb diets, including ketogenic diets, it was a review of the current evidence that is available for meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials. So clearly our key recommendations were dependent on the quality of the randomized controlled trials that were included in the meta-analyses that we reviewed and assessed to determine our key recommendations. As I mentioned previously, some of the randomized controlled trials, the study participants were not able to adhere to the severe carbohydrate restriction that was assigned to them with a very low carb or ketogenic diet. What would be helpful based on this limitation of the review of evidence would be to have future randomized controlled trials that really do create a situation where we can compare varying levels of carbohydrate intake and do as much as can be done to help the study participants maintain the assigned macronutrient composition so that we actually have randomized controlled trials that compare a true ketogenic diet to one that is low carbohydrate, moderate carbohydrate, and high carbohydrate, or a combination thereof, so that we can have more clear evidence to determine, do ketogenic diets work as we perceive they might? Is there a threshold that maybe we can have people following a lower carbohydrate diet where they do not have to be in such a severe carbohydrate restriction to induce ketosis, but they achieve all of the benefit that having a lower carbohydrate intake achieves, such as the lower triglyceride levels or the decreased use of diabetes medication in, in patients with diabetes. So at this point, we really do not have evidence on true ketogenic diets in populations other than, say, those with epilepsy that have been treated for refractory epilepsy. We need to have those randomized control trials that do help people maintain a ketogenic diet to be able to truly assess 
the effects of a ketogenic diet, a true ketogenic diet where people stay in ketosis compared to those of higher amounts of carbohydrate and what are the effects, whether that's benefits or risks. In summary, the take-home message that I have for listeners today is that based on the current available evidence, low and very low carbohydrate diets, including ketogenic diets, do not appear to be superior to other weight loss dietary interventions. So those with a higher amount of carbohydrate and varying amounts of fat. We do know that low and very low carbohydrates may have an advantage on appetite and hunger, but we are unclear about those mechanisms. We also know that there appears to be a consistent benefit in terms of reducing triglyceride levels and the use of medications such as diabetes medications in people with type 2 diabetes or those on a hypertension medications. However, current evidence does show a mixed effect on low-density lipoprotein cholesterol or LDL cholesterol levels, and we understand that there are some individuals who have a marked increase in their LDL cholesterol levels, and thus we encourage patients to have baseline and follow-up lipid and lipoprotein assessment if they choose to follow a very low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet. For other cardiometabolic risk factors, such as blood pressure and C-reactive protein, there are no clear evidence advantages based on the evidence that we have available currently. And a concern is that there is no long-term evidence for cardiovascular outcomes. So most studies that were included in the meta-analyses were not longer than two years and did not assess hard outcomes such as myocardial infarction or stroke in study participants who were following very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diets. So it is unclear about the safety or the risks that might be associated with long-term use of very low carbohydrate and or ketogenic diets. Regardless of the weight loss strategy chosen, a patient-clinician discussion about the risks and benefits and their preference is essential when discussing whether or not a patient should follow a low-carb versus a very low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet. And clinical trials do show that referral to a comprehensive lifestyle intervention program with a multidisciplinary team that may include a physician or advanced nurse practitioner or physician assistant, in addition to a registered dietitian nutritionist, exercise specialist, and psychologist, is a reasonable way to facilitate weight loss and maintenance of reduced body weight and can result in a higher likelihood of success in these patients. And finally, we strongly encourage that although someone might want to start with a very low carbohydrate dietary pattern to, again, induce that quick weight loss in a short term, two to six months time period. Longer term, it's important to facilitate and educate patients on consuming a more low to moderate amount of carbohydrate in their daily dietary pattern that includes carbohydrate-rich foods, which have been associated with positive health outcomes, such as fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, and also to promote cardiovascular health and health in general. Physical activity is clearly an important piece of the picture for health. I hope you found this information valuable today. Thank you very much for your time and listening.